Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 37. Just Sam and I tonight, but it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked dogs. We yeah. have two games to talk about tonight. So uh, one of them went not so well, and then another one went pretty well. So good good mix tonight, but um, go ahead and introduce more formally my, my co-host here, Sam. How are you doing tonight, and what are you sipping on? I'm doing well. I am sipping on some whiskey as per usual. However, I'm straying away from the typical Jack Daniels and going back to my typical plan B, which is some Pendleton whiskey, letting her buck. Right. A little fancier for the evening. So yeah, things are love it. Things are shaping up just like the Husky football <laughs> season, <laughs> huh? <laughs> things are looking up, man. Yeah, yeah, things are looking up. How about you? What uh, are you I love sipping it. On? I got nothing special right now. I just have a Coors Light, but you might have inspired me to go grab some whiskey here in, in a little bit. We'll see. We'll see if how how spicy the rest of this episode gets. Oh, it could get and spicy. It could. It could. Uh, yeah, for sure. Before we get into anything as far as uh, analysis from the last couple of games and obviously looking forward to this next game against Cal, we do have a quick note, and that is that one of the 2022 uh, signees is enrolling at UW early and like really early, as in Way this early. week early. So usually when when you have a recruit that is enrolling early, it's in like January for winter quarter. That's they, They'll start in winter quarter because UW's on the quarter system. So they'll start with winter quarter, and then they'll be there for spring ball. But uh, Emeka Megwa, the the four-star running back out of Texas, is enrolling early. Uh, it sounds like he's enrolling on Friday of this week. That's um, wild. Which, yeah, which kind of caught, I think, everyone by surprise. Um, but it, in reading about it, I think, Sam, you, you had a few more few thoughts kind of around, around uh, this, this enrolling early uh, and this decision that Emeka, Emeka made. Yeah, so I know one of the things that's going on with him in particular is he is dealing with a senior season-ending injury. So his senior season mm -hmm. in high school was done for anyways. And, you know, you never really know anyone's personal situation, but I think without a doubt the training staff at the University of Washington is likely better than any sort of <laughs> medical attention he was getting. And It's true you know, his high school program, probably even in the state of Texas, the UW training staff is top notch. And so I think there might be some aspect of that playing into his decision to getting on campus early, getting some of those UW resources, helping him with his rehab. So I think that's only a positive, but it also might be something as simple as, you know, he has the credits, his senior football season's done and ready to move on chomping at the bit to get to college and don the purple and gold, become part of the team, assimilate to college life as a student athlete. So I think it's a really positive development. Um, you know, it gives them a leg up on the competition in terms of the 2022 class looking for early playing time. 
The only caveat to that is like we have quite a stable of running backs in front of him as it is. So playing time is going to be hard to come by. Um, but he's a, a special talent, big, big running back. I mean, tree chunk, tree trunk for thighs type of guy, powerful running back from Texas. So it'll be nice to get him on campus this early. One of the things that we were talking about off mic before we hit the record button was not really sure what this means in terms of scholarships or scholarship count towards Mm -hmm. the current roster right now. I don't, I don't know if we're at 85 or above 85, obviously with COVID situation and everybody getting a free red shirt. I know there's like, we're like 91 or something, but that's because the extra year of eligibility for a few guys. So, yeah. So I'm not sure if they're able to pull like a gray shirt type situation until 2022 academic year starts. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some, you know, funny business on how all of that stuff works itself out, but needless to say, he'll be on campus extremely early and both for Emeka Megwa personally and for the Husky football program. I think it's only a positive thing to have them on campus sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's nice that he's going to be able to get his feet wet in college just that much earlier, because as we all know, any of us that have has gone to college, it's definitely a life changing type of schedule. So you just have to get used to being on campus, going to classes, the rigor of all your courses, all the studying that goes along with it. Um, and he'll have that in his back pocket by the time he's ready for spring ball, hopefully. So um, it's 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 only a, a positive, I think, um, it, looking at it just like from a, a bird's eye lens. So um, I think it's good news. I think it's good news that a Mecca Meg was is is enrolling early. And I, I think he he made it. He made a good decision just based off. I mean, it it's crazy that he has the credits already. Usually you at I least know. Get your fall quarter of your um of your senior year to kind of get everything up to par to be able to enroll then in in like winter usually but well particularly with UW is you know notoriously I wonder if he's doing stringent. like is he doing some kind of like running start thing because he hasn't even has he even signed his letter of intent yet like I don't no. know how that works so yeah who knows I don't I really it's very interesting I want to know the details of it and I haven't yeah totally been able to dig in we'll have to do yet. a little bit more research on that but Suffice to say, he's enrolling early, like very early. Uh, we, Sam and I are, we have never seen this really before, at least not with UW football. So yeah. this is a, a new circumstance, but it seems cool. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be a trend for other other senior, um, other seniors that end up maybe having some some injuries to force them out of a season. So, all right, well, let's talk about the current team. A couple games, like we said, have happened. Uh, and let's start with the Michigan game. And I think it was, we both predicted that game not going well, and we were pretty much bang on with how that went. Um, in fact, I can, I can pull up our, what was our predictions here? I don't know if we even did like legit predictions. Oh, I don't know if we wrote them down. Yeah. You might not. I think we, we set them, but I don't. I don't think we wrote them down. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. I thought I thought we had I thought we had made those, but no. No, I think we went on a little bit of a tear after the Montana game and basically said like, this team doesn't deserve any preview episodes (laughs) until (laughs) until they win a game. 
So I, I can't remember. I just know but... that we thought that it was going to go poorly. And uh, yeah, well, pretty much exactly that. Yeah, it definitely did. Did you have any takeaways from that game? Like, was there anything, not necessarily positive, but like, was there anything in that game that made you think differently about this team or uh, something that you that you caught on to in game two that you didn't see in game one while you were watching watching the replay? Not really. I mean, towards yeah. the end of the game, you start you started to see the offense pick up a little bit of a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Seemed like the offensive playbook opened up a little bit towards the end of the game. But, you know, in a game like that where we were so it really was reminiscent of our um Rose Bowl game against Ohio State, where you know, we kind of started to see some signs of life towards the end of the game. And it's hard to really tell how much of that was the Husky offense making progress versus the Michigan defense just kind of like rotating like in some rotating in some other players playing some prevent just kind of keeping the ball in front of them taking the foot off the gas a little bit so it, it's it was hard to draw anything from that but if you're going to take anything away from it you know you saw a little bit towards the end of that game my main takeaway from the game as a whole though is you know coming into the season and even even just the passing of the torch from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake and him hiring John Donovan and talking about, you know, running the damn ball, being able to out physical their opponents, watching that Michigan UW game, Michigan was able to do and play the style of football that we've been told that we can play. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my main takeaway was, you know, if I'm Jimmy Lake and if I'm really believing the words that I'm saying, I look across to the other sideline and think to myself, like, damn, that's the kind of team that I want to have, or that's the kind of team that right. I thought I had. And so I think there's some frustration in that. I mean, they just ran the ball down our damn throat. They hardly, mm-hmm. I mean, what'd you say? They had 40 some yards passing the entire game. Yeah. Caden McNamara was seven for 15 for 44 yards. And they blew us out. 31 to 10. (laughs) Yeah. So like, that's the kind of team that we were, you know, led to believe that we had. And so Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I think that just poured gasoline on the fire after the total goose egg we laid against Montana. And then it's just like pours more salt in the wound to lose to a team that basically is, you know, playing the style and brand of football that we were led to believe right. we could play and we obviously can't. Yeah, especially with having like a one-two punch like they have at running back is kind of what we thought yeah. we were going to have at running back. But yeah, I mean, anytime you're giving up 343 yards on the ground, uh, it's going to be tough sledding, I think. Good uh, luck. Just you have no control of the game at that point. Um, it's difficult to score when your offense doesn't have the ball um and michigan's just running all over you so really tough really tough day um i mean we talked about how we had some concerns about the defense being leaky against the run in the past and we saw it on full display against michigan so i really hope that it it's it, it was um it was frustrating that in 
two weeks straight, we didn't make any kind of adjustments, um, especially on especially on defense. I'd say um, the defense played fine in week one, but it was also Montana. Like they didn't really do that much. Yeah, they don't um, have a potent offense exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so, but like to not have, we were told all off season that they were going to make like make these types of adjustments to teams particularly that run well on them and we didn't see any of that and maybe michigan's just that good maybe michigan's that good but you would you would hope and think that washington would match up better against that than they did so it was a disappointing day um seemed like we might have a sliver of hope there after the terrell bynum touchdown it was good to see him back out on the field yep and um, he definitely had, had an impact on that game in the passing passing game, but um, overall just wasn't good enough. And and a lot of a lot of young players made some young mistakes in that game. And hopefully they they take it as a learning moment in their careers going forward. But other than that, there just there wasn't a lot to take from this game. It's it, it's obviously a really cool atmosphere. Yeah, that was the other thing played. that I was going to bring up was you know not only being envious of their ability to be a smash mouth football team, run the ball, play really strong defense at the point of attack in the front seven, but that atmosphere in the big house, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but it was all over Husky Twitter. Anybody that bought tickets and went to Ann Arbor, they were like, Holy shit, this is what college football is all about. Like I wish UW could do something like this. And some of the specifics of that, you know, the things that people thought were really special is coordinating a maze out. So like maze and blue, the yellow color that Michigan wears is maze. Everybody had, you know, their maze t-shirts on. So it looked really cool in between, you know, TV timeouts or in between kicks and kickoffs instead of playing advertisements. I mean, I think Kim Grenolds from dogman.com mentioned that there wasn't a single ad played through the entire game. You couldn't find an ad in the big house like any moment they had to engage with the fan base with playing like pump up songs or like traditional, you know, Michigan pump up songs that they've had in the past and really get the fans up and going, all that stuff was happening. And I think a lot of the traveling Husky fans experienced that and, you know, kind of reflect on the game day experience at Husky stadium. And while it is, one of the most the greatest sitting setting in college football, right? Yeah, which it is. I mean, it's one of the more picturesque stadiums for sure. They lean on that way too fucking much. They though. lean you on it I too mean. much. And the game day experience is really lackluster. And so I think that's, you know, a more of a macro factor of what I would take away from the game is, mm. you know, the game day experience that, Husky stadium is not what it used to be. And it hasn't been that way since they renovated the stadium and moved the dog pack into the end zone. Like it's just not been the same. Yep. 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 Yeah. I'm wondering, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it'll ever change, but I, I mean, hindsight's 2020 obviously, but like that's one of the most moronic moves. I feel like that the, the, leaders at UW yeah. have ever made and that was a bad uh, decision. Yeah. Cause that was, that's, that was what was so unique about Husky stadium is your student section was right on you at the 50 yard line. 
basically. And the Go Huskies chant was way better then because it was like from one side of the stadium to the other. Now it's from like the end zone to the rest of the stadium. And it's just weird. It's not a good experience for you as a student. Like no. to be at a game, you can't see shit. Like the new stadium's nice. Like it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great, great looking stadium. stadium, but um, the students not being more of a focal point of that stadium is going to be a drawback for many, many years. And it's already proven to be quite, quite a downer, I think. So, uh, so anyway, we go from almost 110,000 fans in the stands to about what? 25,000 maybe were actually yeah. in seats. They it said, was... they said 58,000 bought tickets, Bullshit. but there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no way that even half of the, that was actually in the stadium. Yeah. It looked like the spring game. Yeah. Yeah, so um, pretty rough showing uh, of of fans at the stadium on Saturday, but expectedly so. I I don't think um, anyone in the UW athletic department should be surprised about that, based on the performance of the first two weeks, uh, the opponent they were playing, and the fact that there was pretty heavy rain in the schedule uh, in the forecast. That hasn't deterred fans in the past as much, but given those first two points, I think it deterred yeah. fans a lot more. If it had been sunnier, I think still more people would have showed up. So, but UW comes out victorious on Saturday, nonetheless against a, a small crowd. Uh, but they come out victorious in a big way, fifty-two to three, taking out some frustration. I think from the first couple weeks on Arkansas State, a much lesser opponent. What did you take from this game, Sam? Um, I, there's, I mean, there's a lot. A lot of meat on this bone, I think, and we could go a lot of different ways with this conversation. But um, I, I think the the first thing that we want to focus on here is the offense, how much they struggled the first two weeks, and uh, then they put up. You know, technically, I guess they put up what forty five points. Yeah, because the, the defensive, defensive touchdown. touchdown. Um, yeah, like uh, what did, what did you see from the offense that was different? Um, do you think that it's sustainable? Um, do you think it's, do you think they've turned a corner? Do you think they fixed the offense in, in this game against Arkansas state? Yeah. So my, my immediate reaction was one of frustration and quite honestly just made the Montana loss feel that much, <laughs> you know, more painful. It's like, where the hell was this against Montana? Granted, mm -hmm. I think, you know, Montana is a legit contender for a championship at the FCS level, but Arkansas state's not the worst team in FBS either. So I, I would say they're fairly, they're very different teams, but from, yeah. you know, I think they would play a very competitive game if you put Montana and Arkansas state on the field against one another. And so it's Probably. like, how do you lose to Montana and then blow out Arkansas state? So in a lot of ways, it's just like, poured a little bit more salt on that wound for me um getting beyond that and trying to you know not live in the past and look to the future what the takeaways were for me is you know the offense definitely found their groove I think there's a couple components to that that we should dive into I think first and foremost the big move the big change from this game from the previous two is Jimmy Lake moved offensive coordinator John Donovan from the sideline up into the booth I think that was a great decision that paid dividends in this game. Some of the pros to that move is, you know, 
Jimmy Lake talked about it in his press conference earlier today. You know, the sideline could be chaotic. You've got, you know, pedestrian traffic, the players on the sideline, you know, substitutions on and off the field. You don't get a great vantage point. When you're up in the booth, you can see the all 22 full field view. You can see what the defense is doing better, how they're reacting to certain diff- certain things. It's a much calmer environment to call plays and digest what's going on. Obviously, the downside there is you're not as entrenched in the emotions of your team and be able to motivate your team. But I would argue that's not really what an offensive coordinator should be doing anyways. That's more of a head coach or position coach type role. So. Right. I think that had a huge impact on what we saw. Uh, I don't want to get so far ahead of myself in saying like, yeah, that simple, that simple move fixed the offense and you're going to see us cut through teams like butter for the rest of the season. But I think that's definitely been a positive development for this team and for John Donovan calling plays. It just seems like he was able to, you know, Looking at it from a neutral perspective, I thought the game, the play calling throughout the game was better than what I saw in the first two games as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a really positive development. And then I also think we, you know, starting to get a little bit healthier as well. Obviously Mm -hmm. getting our wide receivers back in groove with Terrell Bynum. Obviously you mentioned he had a good game against Michigan had another really solid performance this past weekend against Arkansas state, but really the, the person that came on strong was Jalen McMillan. I know that's a player you're super high on Connor. What did you see from him? You saw a game breaking talent at wide receiver that we haven't had in probably since like John Ross. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean this this kid came into UW with a lot of a lot of hype, and uh, I think I think we even talked about him quite a bit last year, yeah. coming into under the end of the year um, about him possibly playing right away because he he was so talented and his game translated really well to the college level. Now, given that he struggled a lot with drops early in his career. Um, and even in practice, he drops the ball a lot. But um, he didn't do that on Saturday. And you saw, you saw what he was capable of. Uh, I mean, definitely a superior athlete to anything that Arkansas State was was putting out there. I'd like to see right. how he matches up against a, a Pac-12 corner and see what he does against that. But, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're putting up 10 receptions for 175 yards and a touchdown – and you can see the deep threat ability that he has, the ability to stretch the field that we haven't had in a while. Um, you can't help but get excited about about what this kid could accomplish. And we just we haven't seen a performance like that from a receiver, probably I guess since Dante Pettis. But John no. John Ross was really more the game breaking talent than Dante. You haven't Pettis. seen a you haven't seen a performance like that from a Pac-12 wide receiver since John Ross. That's nobody, true. That's nobody's, I, well, I forget the exact stat. I saw somebody yeah, tweet it, but it was that. like, since John Ross in 2016, no wide receiver has amassed 150 yards in the first half right? until right. Jalen McMillan did. So 
definitely a game breaker type. It's kind of funny. Part of the story reminds me of Jermaine curse a little bit. So, Mm. you know, Jermaine had a case of the dropsies in his Husky days, obviously a bunch of amazing game breaking plays. And he was a great Husky in his own right, but he definitely had a case of the dropsies after he graduated. He had some eye surgery. I forget if he had LASIK or whatever it was. And, you know, made a real name for himself in the NFL, particularly with the Seahawks as being a reliable wide receiver. It's kind of funny. I mean, a very different situation, but kind of reminiscent. You know, we hear through his freshman season and through spring and fall camp in 2021, Jalen McMillan is having problems catching the ball, dropping the ball, whatnot. And we obviously don't know the details of it, but it sounds like he had some sort of injury in practice. I don't know if it was like a chronic injury that had been bugging him and causing drops, or if it was like he fell wrong and broke his hand or whatever, but he ended up having hand surgery maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he saw a couple of snaps against Michigan, but this was really the first legit game we've seen him in and he i don't think he dropped a single pass and he looks no i I don't remember maybe he he just needed to have hand surgery and fix his (laughs) issue or whatever it was but he installed a robot hand that's what it is i'll take it the luke skywalker (laughs) mechanical hand i'll take it but he looks like he could be a number one wide receiver for us after that performance yeah for sure and i mean we haven't even gotten fully healthy yet at wide receiver Roman Dunze should be back at some point this year. We don't really know when that's going to be, but right. hopefully hopefully sooner rather than later. My bet would probably be that maybe they sit him two more games and try to bring him back after the bye just to get him that much more rest. We don't really know exa- exactly what his injury yeah, is. Yeah, I have it, no idea. It sounds, like so- it sounds like something that's kind of like a lingering issue. So hopefully they just kind of play it safe with him because I don't want him to re-injure anything. Which, by the way, Jalen McMillan kind of came hobbled up a little bit at some point during that game, came out for a while, but he did eventually go back in. So I think he's fine, but yeah. that was a little worrisome for a little while too. Um, after his big half, he was kind of limping in the locker room, I think, um, with a trainer. So um, overall, super impressive though, obviously from from Jalen McMillan. Um, another guy that I just want to shout out that I think we got completely wrong, Sean McGrew. Yeah, he looked good. Looked John really McGrew good. looked pretty good. His stats wouldn't suggest it. I mean, he had a couple touchdowns. He only had six carries for 31 yards. But he, just the eye test, he definitely looked like the most explosive back um, of 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 the four, I guess, that played mostly besides JV on at the end. Um, so not sure what you take from that. I mean, Sean... Sam and I have been very anti-Sean McGrew, I think, uh, he and Kamari Pleasant, but they both played pretty well in this game. And the running game hasn't really been there the first two weeks of the season. And you finally saw it break out a bit this this game. They rushed for about 200 yards. So maybe Sean McGrew needs to be more more a part of that rushing attack. I, I, think, I think he needs to play. And... I think we just we got that one wrong. I think you can't just rely upon uh, Richard Newton, all, who has played, I think, pretty well for the most part, yeah. and 
Cam Davis is kind of shit the bed though. So yeah, I think I'm I'm with you on that. I think I still want a healthy dose of Richard Newton. I think he has been running the ball fairly well. I, I think most of his, you know, tempered stats are more an indicator of, you know, the struggles we've had along the offensive line. And I think he's made the most of what's available to him. Cam Davis has been a tough one to watch. He seems very untrustworthy of what he's seeing with his eyes. He doesn't seem like he's running in a decisive manner. So hopefully he's able to kind of figure that out. But until he does, I would love to see Sean McGrew take Cam Davis snaps. And I think Sean McGrew just seems to really have a good feel and gels well with the offensive line. He reads his blocks well. And we've seen it with we've seen it with Miles Gaskin, and uh, and of course I'll pump the brakes. I'm not comparing Sean McGrew to Miles <laughs> Gaskin in any way, other than their stature. They're both smaller, kind of sturdy guys, and I do think that there's an element of being able to hide behind your lineman that's difficult as a linebacker trying to track where the running back is going. You have somebody that's you know five seven on a good day, probably closer to five six five five, and it's tough to see where that guy's run, which hole he's going to hit. And so I think you mm-hmm. see an element of that in Sean McGrew's game. He also is for sure has the best feet and lateral quickness in the running back yeah. room. You saw that on his first touchdown run. That totally jump just nasty jump cut sidestep that linebacker or safety from Arkansas state mm-hmm. and basically just waltz in the, into the end zone from there. So, you know, we thought we'd be able to see a little bit more of that from Cam Davis with, you know, mm-hmm. some higher top end speed and physicality. And we just, we haven't. So if you're going to go for a lightning and thunder type duo, I think you want to see Sean McGrew and, and Richard Newton this far. Obviously I've been a huge JV on Sunday fan from day mm-hmm. one. He got his first, you know, he got his feet wet, obviously Looked like he had the first game jitters. He tripped over himself a couple of times. But if you were watching the game towards the end of the fourth quarter and you saw 26 carrying the rock, you know, production wasn't there, but man, does he look the part. I mean, he is jacked. He looks like an NFL running back to me. And so I would love to see him sprinkled in a little bit more. I don't think I'm going to get my, you know, my wishes and prayers answered on that one this season, but I think your your point is right. I, I think moving forward, I'd like to see Newton and McGrew as our one-two punch. Yeah, I agree. Um, who are some of the other – you mentioned Javion, obviously, but who are some of the other young guys that you were excited to watch? We, we got to see a certain individual that we've been waiting to see, I think, for a long yeah. time who, who shares your name um, that, uh, you know, very highly anticipated debut and – he looked okay. He looked comfortable out there for the most part, I thought. Um, but how do, how do you think Sam Heward played? Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have gotten more of him. I think mm-hmm. he probably could have come in a series or two earlier than he did. Yeah, he could have um, played the fourth quarter. Yeah, so I thought he played well. I think his, his first pass, he sailed it over the head of his wide receiver and out of bounds. It's you know, kind of what I was alluding to with JV on Sunday, there's probably some first game jitters there in terms of just like getting comfortable in your first college football snaps. 
but he made a great pass over the seam. I mean, I think he led a 70 yard drive. We didn't score a touchdown, but we got points, which uh, on the field goal there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm, I'm grading it as your first drive as a collegiate player, it was pretty solid. He made the throws that he needed to make. I really liked him, you know, trusting his receivers and giving them a chance to fight for the ball. I know he, he was definitely targeting his high school teammate Jabez Tini a lot. Yeah. Drew a couple of pass interference penalties to keep the drive alive. So, you know, there's some things there that I really liked. And, you know, I think Dylan Morris played a much better game. I think you saw him being able to get away with some of the issues he's had in the previous two games against better defenses than what he saw against Arkansas state. And what I'm alluding to there is I think Dylan Morris has developed a little bit of a habit to lock on to his first read and stare it down and, and force it in there. He's made kind of a bad habit of just, you know, when in doubt, throw it up to Kate Otten, even if he's triple covered, he's thrown two or three interceptions doing that. So, you know, even on Sam Heward's, one really good pass that stood out to Giles Jackson down the seam, the middle of the field. He was looking left, looked the safety off, made it to his second read down the middle of the field and pulled the trigger. And, you know, if Dylan Morris isn't able to kind of continue this type of performance we saw this past weekend into the next two Pac-12 games against Cal and Oregon State, I wouldn't be shocked if you see Sam Heward trotting out there against UCLA after the bye week. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think Sam Heward came in and lit the world on fire, but I don't think he's as far behind Dylan Morris as some people or Jimmy Lake would, you know, lead you to believe in a press conference. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's a quarterback controversy at this point by any means. Um, but there's for sure a limit. I think that you can carry the offense under Dylan Morris and yeah. the ceiling is much higher under Sam Heward. I think we all know that. Um, the floor is also a lot lower, I think, with Sam Heward yeah. right now, especially. So there's no need to be changing quarterbacks at this point. That being said, Sam, your point is fully valid that that Dylan Morris is really a one-read quarterback. He he basically locks onto his first read and he waits for that to come open. If it doesn't come open, he either does one of three things. He forces it, he throws it away, or he takes off running or takes a sack. Yes. Yeah. Four things. Um, you can get away with that in college. If you have elite scheming on offense, we don't have that. I think, I think we can agree that John Donovan is not really an elite scheme offensive coordinator yeah so we haven't seen it that's for sure (laughs) yeah yeah i i mean his resume would not suggest that either like even just from what we've seen if you're putting that aside even the rest of his career would not suggest that he's an elite offensive schemer right so i don't know i'm still this is arkansas state this is a really bad defense (laughs) like i'm not fully sold that this offense is fixed and that it's going to be sustainable in Pac-12 play, totally could be. Totally could be. Maybe maybe they did turn a corner. And I mean, it, if anything, it's nice to have some confidence boosted into them going into Pac-12 play. 
and just some positive vibes around the program going into Pac-12 play because those first two weeks fucking sucked. Yeah, like they took a toll. Yeah, they were awful. I mean, you had people wanting to burn the whole thing down on boards online. So, um, you know, these next two weeks are big. These next two weeks are big. And it all starts with Cal on Saturday. Is there anything else that you want to cover with the Arkansas State game? I know we had, you have some other young players on here, but um, I'm yeah, sure I think you... we can rip through it really quick. I, with the way that the game went, it's no surprise that you saw some of the young dogs get some game action here. I think yeah. a lot of us were hoping to have seen them in week one against Montana. Obviously, that didn't yeah. happen. We talked about Sam Heward. We mentioned Jabez Tenai the wide receiver, Sam Heward's teammate from Kennedy Catholic. We also mentioned JV on Sunday, our redshirt freshman getting some of his first snaps. I think the really exciting young players, honestly, are on the defensive side of the ball, at least my takeaways. Yeah, I would agree. No surprise along the defensive line. Void, Tanufi, and Kuo Pehopa both have been in the rotation regularly through three games. Neither of them are going to redshirt at this point. I've been really impressed what I've seen from both of them. I've seen some glimpses of greatness from each of them. Obviously, some freshman mistakes here and there. But I think Tanufi almost had his first sack. Yeah. Oma. Tanufi, what I saw out of him in this game, which I really liked, was on some of the pass, the obvious passing downs, like third and longs, they had him lined up even as a defensive end. I mean, he is so quick for that yeah. for his size and so i think you get a lot of versatility from him and mm-hmm. his abilities as an interior pass rusher i think are going to pay dividends down the road i think pehopa is more of your bruiser run clogging yeah, super strong massive guy but it's really nice to see those like defensive line tandems year in year out take place so you've got tuli and taki as the third year players as a second-year players, you have Fatui Tuatele and Jacob Bandez. Noah Ngalu's in there as well. He hasn't seen too much game action yet. And then the first-year players, Voy Tanufi and Kuo Pehopa, have been awesome. So I think you have a lot of depth there, which is great to see. And then, you know, we saw some flashes of the next great defensive back at UW will be Jacoby Covington. He's kind of been a tweener between safety and corner. Um, he had a nice sack on a corner blitz where he just came in unblocked and absolutely obliterated the quarterback. He is a physical yeah. specimen and definitely a name to keep in mind for the future. But honestly, leaving this game, even above Sam Heward, the person that impressed me the most was Carson Bruner, mm-hmm. son of the all-time great UW tight end, Mark Bruner. Carson looks like he could actually have a, potentially starting role on this team down the road, maybe even this year. I mean, I don't know what was going on with Eddie Ulofosio not really playing. I don't know if that's like a nagging injury or discipline it was thing. A, yeah, it seemed like it was a he was just nicked up, is what Jimmy yeah. said. So hopefully he's able to stay healthy. And Jackson Sermons, I feel like he's played a little bit better, but I still feel like he's more of a liability than not when he's on the field. Sure. But man, this Carson Bruner kid is legit. Like yeah, you, hit. you watch all of the positive plays on defense in the second half. He had some hand in it. So I talk about 
Jacoby Covington's sack on the DB blitz, who cleared the path for him. Carson Bruner took the tackle way aggressive on the edge, opened up a free lane for Jacoby Covington. Carson Bruner caused a fumble that uh, I think Bookie picked up and ran with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there were two guys in on that play. I, Bruner was one of them. Though. Bruner and Gordon, but Bruner was Gordon, the one that yeah. really forced it. And then even just like I rewatched the game earlier today for the second time, and I really keyed in on him while he was in the game. He just has such a good feel for it, even dropping into coverage. It's like he has eyes in the back of his head at, to a certain degree where there's a post route or a crossing route that's running behind him. And he's not looking at the receiver, but he can, he just somehow feels it and he kind of drifts into the passing lanes. And I don't know, I was just was super impressed. Jimmy Lake was, you know, extremely laudatory of his performance in his press conference today on Monday. Mm-hmm. So of anybody that's, you know, a freshman that played that second half of the game, you know, in quote unquote mop up duty. I think Carson Bruner is the one that really stood out to me as potentially being an impact player for this team this year, whether or not that's at the linebacker position, he'll for sure continue to have an impact on special teams, but he looks like a legit inside linebacker to me. And I'm, I'm pretty fucking pumped if you can't tell. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a position that we've circled so often on this podcast, Sam, as, as far as just like, who is that other guy opposite of Eddie that can stand out? You saw a lot of Daniel high in this game yep. too, and he played pretty well, but Bruner definitely, definitely popped um, in more ways than one on, on this in this game on Saturday. So it, there's something about being a, a UW football legacy and having high football IQ. You, 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 alluded to that he just seems to know feel comfortable out there and know where he needs to be and stuff like he's just he's got a good feel for the game and that's something you really can't teach and um it's instilled in him because of 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 his background being surrounded by football all all of his life so yeah definitely a definitely a talent to watch over the the coming years for sure all right should we shift over this cal game yeah let's do it all right so a team that has given us trouble <laughs> over the over the past several years, I'd say, um, yeah. especially the last they've they've won two straight against us, but a, a series that UW still leads fifty four to forty one, and there's four ties in there as well. Um, didn't play last year, obviously that was the supposed to be the first matchup of the year that ended up being canceled because of a COVID case on Cal's team. Um, when Sam and I were kind of upset with Cal for and like Berkeley and stuff. And we're, yeah. we were so, we were so naive to know that, you know, three or four weeks later, our entire <laughs> team basically out with COVID. So yeah. um, what a year 2020 was uh, not going to be the case this year. I don't think at this, at this point, uh, knock on everything you have, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, a team that definitely has kind of had our number Justin Wilcox, uh, former UW coach, um, Good, good defensive coordinator for UW. Um, whenever he he was here, uh, that was that was under Sark, Sark. and then under Peterson, or was no, it just Sark? Just Sark. Okay. And then He's he a went to free guy though, isn't he? Yeah. So Wilcox, he played college football at Oregon. I don't know if his. I think his path crossed with Peterson during that time when. 
Peterson was a coach and Wilcox was a player. Gotcha. And um, Wilcox ended up finding himself pretty good coaching, you know, ramp up period under Peterson at Boise State. Sarkeesian hired Wilcox away from Peterson from Boise State to UW. And then Wilcox followed Sarkeesian to USC. Hmm. And then gotcha. after that meltdown that Sark had down there and USC's chaos, he ended up um, grabbing the head coaching gig at Cal. Yeah. But hell of a coach. Kind of, yeah, he's a good coach. He's had kind of an up and down career at, at Cal. Um, he, it seemed like he was kind of building something, but they've definitely tailed off as of recently. Yeah. And this team doesn't look that great. Um, at least through three games, they're they're one and two. Their only win over Sacramento State, um, you know, <laughs> kind of like where we're at right now. <laughs> Pretty similar. I'd say I'd say we looked a little bit more impressive this last week than they did, but um, you know, I can't I can't talk that much smack to a bunch of other Pac-12 teams right now with where UW is at. But nonetheless, um, a team that is is struggling for the most part this year, much like us. So it'll be interesting to see how th these teams match up on Saturday. Who are some players that you're watching on Cal? Obviously, I think we can we can circle and then kind of erase quarterback Chase Garbers. He's been there forever. Um, solid quarterback in college, but I think he's never really lived up to the hype around his name. Um, I feel like. It was like two years ago or something. There wasn't really Heisman buzz, but like he was supposed to be one of the better QBs in the Pac-12. Yeah. And he never has really kind of amounted to that, I feel like. He's always been bang average, if not just a little bit below average. Right. Um, but nonetheless, a very experienced college quarterback and probably uh, probably a better one than Dylan Morris, at least at this point in his career. Yeah. So a player to watch and... Um, a fully capable quarterback. Do you have anything else to say about Chase Garbers? No, not really. I mean, outside of the fact that I think some of the buzz around him was just being a gamer. I mean, he's not going to wow you with his passing abilities. He definitely has that, you know, Aaron Rodgers esque ability to extend plays where he's not a Lamar Jackson or a Russell Wilson even, but he, did, he is sneaky with his feet, and so he can extend some third yeah. down plays and make a pass or pick up, you know, a third and three here and there, and that can kind of snowball. And we saw that, I think, in his sophomore year. And to your point, you know, generated a lot of buzz there, but he's kind of just pl plateaued and stayed stagnant yeah. as, you know, a game manager type quarterback, not really a game breaker. Um, I think part of that is also, like, you just – he's never really had great wide receiver weapons around him. I sure. know another key player on Cal that we have here that we should keep an eye on is their wide receiver, Trevon Clark. That's a new name to me. I haven't followed him closely. And it seems like he's had a good start to the year. He's just um, their leading receiver this year. So. He's their leading receiver. I know the other receiver that does stand out to me, that has kind of been a slot possession guy for them. I forget his first name, but I think it's like Nico Remigio or something like that. He's had a couple big games against UW, but my, my point is, you know, I don't think Garbers has had a ton of help in, in the, in terms of having, you know, solid wide receivers to throw to. Um, 
but their running attack is what's really been punishing to the UW defense in the past. Obviously, Christopher Brown was a big part of that. He's gone. We've had troubles with Marcel Dancy in the past. He's back. And then really in the early parts he's of this barely season, played. he's barely played. And in the early parts of the season, it's really been Damian Moore. What have you seen out of him that has your eyes on, on uh, Damian? Yeah, I mean, he's just he's a solid running back. It, it, you look at his stats here, he's got 237 yards on 41 attempts, so he's averaging almost six yards a carry. Um, five touchdowns, two in three games, so that's not bad at all. Um, he just he seems to be kind of their workhorse back for the most part. He's got, you know, three times as many, four times as many carries as pretty much anyone all any of the other running backs. Their next most attempted runner is Chase Garbers. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned his legs. He does he does run a bit. He's he's got 106 yards already on the season on 17 attempts. So they they will do some like read option stuff with him sometimes, and they'll kind of bootleg him out of the pocket. So that's something to watch. Um, yeah, going back to Trevon Clark. I mean, he's got 10 receptions for 227 yards and a couple touchdowns, averaging almost 23 yards a catch. So he's definitely kind of an explosive receiver. He's got a long of 68 yards too. Um, so kind of your Jalen McMillan type game breaking receiver. We've got, got to make sure that we cover him up. Well, he's a uh, big Mc- dude. He's six, four. Yeah. Yeah. And on that same note though, Trent, Mc- uh, Trent McDuffie is probably going to be the guy that goes up against him. Mostly he went out with an injury late in that Arkansas state game on a punt return. Um, seems like I, I think he's healthy. His, his ankle was heavily taped. He came back like not playing but back to the sideline his ankle was heavily taped he wasn't in a boot or anything like that so that's encouraging but he's definitely got an ankle like some kind of sprain i think going on so he's he i think he'll play through it is kind of what it sounds like but um that'll be something to watch if if he goes out then it'll be kyler gordon time on on trevon clark definitely want to make sure that we're shutting down their their rushing attack though that's obviously you you said it earlier is is what what has killed us in the past um on defense i mean they they've been such a solid defense for so long especially under justin wilcox but that's not really the case this year i mean they're giving up well over what 30 points a game or something like that for the most part um yeah they gave us 22 against nevada 34 against tcu and 30 against sacramento state so yeah right around 30 i guess yeah Hasn't been a super stout defense that we're used to. They've lost a lot of talent to the NFL, particularly in that defensive backfield. So, you know, hoping that guys like Terrell Bynum and Jalen McMillan can kind of keep that momentum rolling into this game and can cut it loose and, and make something happen against a more inexperienced defensive backfield. Yeah, for sure. They have a couple guys on here that we'll just talk about. I'm not super familiar with either of these either of these players, but their safety, Daniel Scott, has a couple interceptions already this year, and one of those was returned for a touchdown. So uh, he's definitely kind of a ball hawk safety, it seems like. Um, and then their their linebacker, Evan Tattersall, um, is leading their team in tackles with 22. Honestly, through three games, that's not that impressive, I don't think. But yeah. um, it seems like their tackling has actually been pretty even across the board. They have they have like, what, 
almost, I think, 10 guys with double-digit tackles this year. So it seems like it's been kind of a, a tackling by committee almost almost type, type situation for the Cal, Cal defense. Yeah, I think the one person I'd add on the list from a defensive perspective that's had a a, you know, a more quiet start to the season of 2021 mm-hmm. is their linebacker Cameron Good. He wears number 19. Back in 2019, he had nine and a half sacks. So he's someone that the offensive line is going to have to know where he's at at all times. Yeah, he's got a couple this year. He's got a couple this year already. Um, I don't think he's had as big of an impact on the game in terms of his total tackles that you know you'd typically see, but um, definitely. I, I think the strength of the defense is that linebacker unit with Tattersall, Cameron Good. You know, Kwani Dang is another long, rangy sack artist. He had, you know, he's been in the backfield quite a bit against us in the past, outside of mm-hmm. obviously Evan Weaver was kind of our, yeah, our I was gonna say Grim Reaper, but our, our Kwani, arch nemesis. <laughs> yeah, Kwani Dang is a really interesting linebacker. He he kind of rotates between outside linebacker, inside linebacker. He's six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds. Really athletic guy. He could make some problems for this offensive line as well. So, I think if we're able to keep the linebackers, you know, engage on those blocks, I think you could see the Husky offense continue some of the success we saw against Arkansas State against this California Golden Bears defense. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think we should be able to put up points. Should, yes, in theory. They've given up points to basically everyone they've played so far, so we should. Um, but it's going to be all about how how the dogs look. I, it, I think UW only beats themselves on Saturday is kind of the way that I see it. And yeah. it all starts with the quarterback, Dylan Morris. He's one of my players to watch in this game. How does he look against a Pac-12 foe? We saw what he looked like last year. He was pretty up and down. He looked good enough to win games. So that's just what I'm hoping for from him. But can he can he can he develop further than that? Like, can he not be just a one-read quarterback? That's what I want to see from Dylan Morris. Can he progress through his reads on a given play and not panic? Like he needs to not just lock on to a receiver. Um, I, we need to see that development from him because otherwise, to your point, Sam, I mean, obviously we're going to have to go with Sam Heward at some point, and I don't know if it's going to come this season or not, but it's only a matter of time before that time comes because you're so limited if your quarterback is going just to his first read on offense. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of that from Dylan Morris, locking on to that first read. And then I think the downside of that too, and you touched on it, is if that first read isn't open, he, he panics, he either throws the ball away, takes a sack. I've seen him also go from, you know, his first read to his check down really quick. And yeah, the pocket's clean. Really yeah. yeah, he gives up on the play. And I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to hit your check down and sure. something could happen. But there's been a lot of times in studying the film that I I've been watching these games probably too much for my own, my own good. <laughs> Way more than I have, dude. So good for you. And uh, there's been a lot of plays he's left out on the field because he has checked down to the running back or the tight end way too quickly and, and not gone to a second or third read, you know, breaking open down the field. So I'm with you on that one. I would love to see Dylan Morris kind of get a little bit more comfortable 
go through his progressions, find some of those longer developing routes down the field would be great to see. And I think that leads in as a nice segue to the second player to watch on, on Saturday. Yeah. And that's wide receiver Jalen McMillan. Can he build off of his huge day this last Saturday with 10 receptions for 175 yards and a touchdown? Can he have a similar type day and against a, a packed full foe? Um, I think I think he's fully capable of dominating a game. We've we've seen it on full display. Obviously, that's against a much inferior opponent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Just a mismatch. Um, but I don't think these Cal corners necessarily are going to pose that much of a, a problem for our our receivers. And I think we could that could be an area that we could take advantage of in some ways. So really interested to see what Jalen brings. Um, now that he's that he, now that he's back and he's healthy and um can can he build off of that strong week last week then I'm just interested to see how he responds yeah it'll be interesting to see how he responds to the additional attention as well sure. not yeah. only are you going up against a Pac-12 defensive backfield at this point but you're not catching anybody by surprise after you go off like you did last weekend so he's going to have yeah some safety help and whatnot and you know whether that you know, he can battle through that and make things happen. Or maybe that opens things up for Taj Davis and Terrell Bynum. Mm -hmm. I think he'll have, yeah, he'll have a positive impact, whether he replicates that type of game breaking production or not. Um, It'll just be really interesting to see. I think he's a type of player that can still have an impact, even with the attention that he'll likely get from the defensive coordinator over there at Cal. Yeah. And yeah, like I, the, the biggest thing that I would just say in response to that, and you kind of already said it is just, does that open stuff up for Taj Davis? Do they, can, I mean, can they really pay that much attention to Jalen McMillan? Cause Taj Davis has played pretty well too. And then you got Terrell Bynum as, as your slot guy, who's probably the most proven receiver in, in this room. So yeah, not even to mention Kate Otten. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, there's there's a lot of weapons on this offense that 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 uh, Dylan Morris can throw to, and it's just about him being on time and going through his progressions and getting the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there, which is a lot easier said than done. I understand that, but um, if if Dylan Morris can execute the game plan, all any of these guys could have big days like we saw from Jalen McMillan, and hopefully we see it again on Saturday. Uh, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I'd say this first guy that we have on the list here might be your defensive player of the year so far through three games as far as just like impact plays. Like he and he's he has gotten better each game, I think, yeah. too. But he he has made some kind of key impact play, I feel like, in each game. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about Buki? Yeah, so Buki Radley Hiles is really starting to feel comfortable in this defensive scheme in that nickel position. You saw him have a huge impact, definitely the defensive player of the game in my mind against mm-hmm. Arkansas State. You know, feeling really comfortable on some of those DB blitzes. He came in on one of my favorite, probably my favorite defensive play of the year so far. There was a, a read option that they were running where the quarterback's trying to read whether to hand it off or to keep it. And usually that puts that edge defender in a conundrum. Like, do I tackle the running back or the quarterback? And Bookie just basically said, fuck it. I'll tackle both of them. And he, did. <laughs> he tackled both of them in one play. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I think that's just, you know, to your point, he's a special player. He's a game breaking type player. You know, he scooped up a fumble that Kyler mm-hmm. Gordon and Carson Bruner caused in the game as well. So I think he's really starting to settle in nicely and it's only a matter of time before he gets his hand on the ball in terms of sure. the interception and whatnot. But I think having him settle into that nickel role and not only be a good pass defender, but really have a presence at the line of scrimmage in terms of pass rush and, and run fits. He had a great uh, tackle on a end around and mm-hmm. he's had a couple of good tackles in space. So I think he's coming on strong and, I think as we look at this Cal offense, you know, whether it's Garbers getting out of the pocket, you know, running backs trying to bounce something outside, I think you'll see Bookie uh, be put in a position to make some plays. And based on what we've seen, we should expect him to to make those plays and, and have a positive impact on this defense for sure. Yeah, he's been as advertised, you know, like we were, we were pretty, we were pretty fired up about his transfer and and we, we could see the potential that he could have on his defense. And I think we've, we've seen that so far, even with just the lackluster results, he's played well. Um, Someone who it's not like he's played badly, I would say, but he hasn't had nearly the impact that I, I, I would have thought that he would have had. And especially going up a, a, against a, an offense that's going to run the ball a lot. I want to see Thule take over this game. I want to see I want to see this guy wreak havoc the way that we've heard that he is in practice, you know. Yeah. Um Don't you think he should? Like uh, like he's ba- he's 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 due for that type of game. I mean, he you saw a little bit of it a couple years ago, like you could see kind of the 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 flashes of it. He wasn't really healthy last year. So I kind of throw that one out the window. And then from all reports at practice, like he was just destroying practices. Um, yeah. And we haven't really seen it yet. Like we haven't, we haven't seen him do that in a game yet. I feel like he's due. I think he's definitely due for a big game. And this would be to your point, a great one to have it in a run heavy offense. I mean, it's hard to tell whether it's going to happen or not. I mean, he was displaced from his starting position by Fatui Tuatele against Arkansas yeah, State. So read into that what you will. But Tuli has all the physical ability in the world to be a yep. disruptive interior defensive lineman. I would love to see him and Sam Taimani have their best game side by side in terms of stuffing run lanes and keeping our inside linebackers clean and able to make those tackles in the gaps. So I, I would love to see that. Um, and I agree. It's, he's kind of one of those players that's been a little bit of a mystery based on the reports that we've heard out of camp that he was just, you know, dominant, a leadership focal voice on the defense. Yeah. And we just haven't seen that play out on Saturdays yet. And maybe this will be his coming out party. I, I hope it is for, you know, the benefit of the defense and the team we we need him to step up into that role that we thought he could have on this year's team yeah to your point uh to Italia did start over him and he played pretty well too yeah he and did had that had that big sack fumble um that brilliant trice took back to um late in the game so i don't know man it, obviously the coaches are kind of 
you know, giving him a hint that, dude, you got to start playing well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got to start, you know, showing up on Saturdays like you are at practice. So we'll see if it clicks for him. I, I, I think he's still going to be obviously heavily a factor in the rotation, even if he's not starting. Um, and of the, of the three or four main guys at that defensive lineman position, he's the most likely to, I feel like make his presence known from a physicality standpoint, just because of his size and his strength. So yep, I it'll be, be interesting to see, see how that, how that, uh, how that plays out. Well, let's talk some of these keys to the game then. And I think this is a good transition from, from our players to watch because Thule a huge part of this, I think. And I want to see us win the goddamn line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, really, but especially on the defensive side, just because I, I'm so tired of Cal running backs, like going <laughs> for 10 yards at a, a pop towards the end of games, especially in the fourth quarter. This th- we should be physically dominant, like on both sides of the ball, um, with with the roster that we have, and we just we we really haven't seen that yet on display this this year, I guess, at least against like a legitimate opponent. Um, so that's that's one of my keys to the game. I don't know how how you feel about that, Sam, but it, it's been one of the more frustrating themes for me so far this season is our our lack of ability to to win the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's such a fundamental of football is winning the line of scrimmage. And to your point, we haven't seen us really dominate the line of scrimmage. I'd even say against Arkansas State, it wasn't like we were imposing our will like Michigan did against us. And offensively, you know, I think defensively, we did a pretty damn good job at the line of scrimmage against Arkansas State. But looking at the history with Cal, like we got to make Garbers beat us with his arm. And he doesn't, he doesn't do that. There's no scenario where Garbers is going to light it up against our defensive backfield, especially with the wide receivers at his disposal. So I think that's totally my number one key to the game is make on the defensive side of the ball, neutralize their run game and make Garbers uncomfortable, make him beat us with his arm because we all know, that ain't gonna happen <laughs> especially against our secondary which has played pretty well yes. all season they they've played pretty much as advertised so lean on that lean on that uh strength of your defense i'd really like to see the pass rush get going too we saw it a little bit towards the end of the arkansas state game but it's been it's been zero pretty much all year i didn't think that we'd be missing ztf that much i knew that we would miss him but we need someone to step up from a pass rush perspective. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, where's Savelle Smalls? Where's Braylon Trice? Yeah. Again, like another offseason hero. We we're talking about Tuli sure. Tuli Nasanoa being all hyped up out of spring and fall camp. I mean, Kaika Malloy is on the record saying that Braylon Trice is ahead of Joe Tryon at this point, and that just sounds like a total asinine comment based on what we've seen so far. Um, obviously Braylon Trice had the great 66 yard scoop and score last week, but I haven't seen much from him in a pass rush capacity. So, you know, my thought and my question back to you on this one is you brought up ZTF. When do we see him back? Yeah. Is it this game? Do they wait till the bye week? Yeah. 
It might be. I I feel like just with the way that the schedule plays out, it makes sense after the bye week. But that's just like me being trying to be like logical about the situation yeah. when I know nothing about the injury as far as how how far he's progressed from with his rehab. Um, seems like he's definitely ahead of schedule. So I would assume it's going to be sooner rather than later. It's definitely not going to be November like they yeah. were originally unless he has some crazy setback. Um, so it, it should be within the next three games, I would think. It's just yeah. when it happens. Um, yeah, it, it would be great to have him back because obviously he, he would provide an immediate boost to that pass rush. Oh, um, yeah. So it someone like Ryan Bowman, though, even like it'd be nice to see him make a little bit more of an impact from a pass rushing standpoint, because he's kind of the lead dog now when it comes to that outside linebacker position. Yeah. And um, I think he's played OK, but he hasn't really played up to like the Ryan Bowman standard. I think that we've come to expect. Uh, over yeah. Throughout his years at, at campus. He was campus. really active in that Montana game and he didn't mm-hmm. get any sacks, but I think he drew at least one two maybe even three holding calls yeah he drew at least two um but yeah that's one of the things i noticed in the arkansas state game is he also didn't get that many reps i saw a lot of Mm -hmm. cooper mcdonald a lot of savelle smalls jeremiah martin so read into that what you will but damn it would be nice to see ryan bowman alongside ztf at that outside linebacker position i just hoping that sooner rather than later, obviously you don't want to push ZTF too hard, but Mm. if he's ready, we sure as hell could use him. No doubt. And our next key to the game, I think is we've kind of already alluded to it, Sam, but we just want to see Dylan Morris develop as a quarterback and, and as a, as a thrower of the football, we want to see him go through his progressions. Can he not be just that one read quarterback? And can he start to show that in this game against Cal? Because he's going to have to show it sooner rather than later because some of the defenses that we're going to be coming up against are going to give him a lot of trouble if he can't just get off this first read. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like at this point we've beat this key to the game like a dead horse and (laughs) we got to see it from him. And I would love to see him go through his progressions and find a second, third, even third wide receiver on some of those late breaking routes, because I think he's left some plays out there on the field that he just panicked and checked down or panicked and, you know, climbed up in the pocket and gets sacked or throws it out of bounds, whatever it is. So I think seeing him progress as a passer would be really great. I think one of the things that Jimmy Lake talked about in his post-game conference was how against Arkansas State, the success we had passing the football opened up the running game, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a, you know, in reverse of how Jimmy Lake would prefer it to be, but counterintuitive it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But they go hand in hand. And so if one's going and it'll help the other aspect of the offense. So Definitely want to see Morris continue the momentum that he had, even though, again, I don't think that he played his a, a fantastically great game against Arkansas State. I think it was just you saw our wide receivers were too much for the defensive backs to handle. I think that you know won't necessarily be the case against Cal. I think our wide receivers are probably more talented, but at the end of the day, Morris is still going to have to play really well for us to have this success through the air. So looking for him to 
really show some maturation through the season and continue this growth trajectory that we've seen, like played awful against Montana, played awful against Michigan until the fourth quarter. You saw him make some nice plays, played well, obviously had a big game statistically against Arkansas State. Can he continue that momentum into this weekend against Cal? And then I know this last key to the game, you you have some extra sentiment towards in terms of stop having such a stubborn game plans on both sides of the ball. I imagine yeah. this really has an emphasis on the defensive side going into this matchup against Cal's run first offense. Yeah, it's just nightmares of of past years of Cal just running down our throat and us doing really nothing about it. Um, we've seen that game plan game like we've seen that uh, that play out against other teams too, against a Stanford or against a Utah in the past as well. But Cal is definitely one of those opponents that it definitely comes comes up against. So um, it'd be nice if if Bob Gregory and company can be a little bit more flexible with their game plan. And if something isn't working, change it up, you know, give them some different looks, do some different stunts on the defensive line. Like just like, don't be so basic with your defense or like play so base with your defense that it's easy for the defense to predict what you're going to do. Be multiple with your defense. And on the same token in the offense, John Donovan, like you saw it a little bit better this last game, I think, but also you didn't really, I don't think John Don John John Donovan really had to change his game plan really that much yeah. in this last game against Arkansas State. Arkansas State never gave the UW offense really any trouble um, on their defensive side of the ball. So when that moment hits, what is John Don's like? What is his response? I want to see him to be able to make some kind of adjustment. You know, you alluded to it earlier. Running to open up the pass is usually the way that you think about it, but running to passing to open up the run is another way. In modern football, it goes both ways. Like you're going to have to do both. You have to have balance. And that's the balance that we talk about. It's not just split between run and pass, it's how you utilize one to open up the other. So, um, need to see more, uh, more against a, 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 a better opponent in Cal. I just want to see adjustments from, from both sides of the ball when adversity hits. Yeah, I, I agree. I think having adaptability and, and flexibility in the play calling, the game plans. I mean, we just we haven't really seen either Bob Gregory or John Donovan on either side of the ball make some noticeable changes and adjustments at halftime or even in the midst of the first half or whatever point of the game that it is, it would be nice to see some, like I'm by no means an expert in watching football and, and sure. tactics playing out, but I'm definitely above average in that category. And I haven't seen anything that's been a glaring adjustment that we've made in game. And I think that's something that, you know, we need to see out of these coordinators. That's why we pay them the big bucks. So It'll be interesting to see how the game unfolds. I think, you know, it'll likely be a lower scoring defensive battle. It was not, I don't see it being a runaway game like it was this past weekend against Arkansas State. And I guess now that I bring that up, it's a pretty good segue into our prediction section here. I'll just mm -hmm. carry the torch and go with it. Sure. Yeah, go I'm for predicting it. a 24 to 10 victory for the dogs. I think. You know, 
based on what I've seen, I'm not super high on this Cal team this year. I think that, as we've mentioned, they've lost a lot of talent to the league and feels like we've starting to get our mojo back. It looks like we were finally having fun playing some football out there against Arkansas state. I think we'll be able to, to, you know, score a few touchdowns, get a field goal mixed in there somewhere. And I really see this defense continuing what we've, we've seen out of them. Um, you know, the one wary that I have is we had some trouble stopping the run against Michigan, obviously, but Michigan's been able to roll that with everyone that they've played thus far. I don't think Cal's rushing attack is as potent as Michigan's is. I think we'll be able to stack, stack up and, you know, be a little bit more, you know, stout in the box against them than we were against Michigan. So I, I just don't see this offense really gaining a lot of traction against the Husky defense at this point. I could be wrong, but I think it'll feel like a fairly comfortable game, but, you know, for the majority of it be, you know, a two score lead for the Huskies and, you know, maybe a late field goal or something puts us, puts the game away. That's kind of how I see it unfolding. I'll speak on behalf of Justin. I know he's, he's not here on the podcast, but he did give us his prediction. He's predicting Uh the dogs winning a bit of a more high scoring game, 32 to 24. Um, What are you seeing Connor? What's your prediction? Yeah, I'd be thrilled, thrilled with Justin's pick from an offensive standpoint, not so thrilled from a defensive standpoint. If we're giving up 24 points to this Cal offense, I think not so, that's not so great for, for the looks of our defense for the rest of the season. Um, I'm seeing somewhere kind of in the middle of you guys. Um, I got a 24, 16 final score line here. I think it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a close nip and tuck game. Like you said, kind of low scoring um, that I think we just kind of make a few more plays in the fourth quarter and we pull away a little bit at the end. Um, Like I, I could see this being like a 17 to 16 game going into the fourth quarter. And we just have like a, a long, drive in the fourth quarter that ends in a touchdown and ends up kind of being the difference in in the game yeah. so i that's kind of how i see this one these this one going um i think the defense will be comfortable for the most part and um they should they should be able to stop this cal uh, offense more times than not um it's it's really going to be all about can we score enough points and i think i think probably 17 points does it but i'd feel more comfortable for 20 plus yeah, I agree. So there you have it. Dogs are going to win. <laughs> we're going to get this thing going again. Hey, I mean, we've said it all along, even after the Montana loss, that everything's still in front of this team, basically, as far as their goals for this year. Conference play starts Saturday. This is where it really begins. Yeah. Okay, You got your little tune-up against Arkansas State. You got your mojo back a little bit. Show it against a real opponent you know, show the conference what you're actually about. And I really hope that they turned a corner because I'm not feeling super confident as I'm saying these words, but um, I'm more confident now than I was two weeks ago. I'll say that. For sure. How could you not be? But again, was Arkansas State. We did what we were supposed to do. (laughs) It's the biggest caveat is it was Arkansas State. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. Seen that all over the boards this week. It was Arkansas State. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Until next time. Go dogs. He's back. <laughs>